Police in Las Vegas found themselves in the middle of a UFO mystery last month after an... It was big eyes, they have big eyes. Saw something fall out of the sky too, so that's why I'm kind of curious. Do you see him now, sir? Mythical Legends Podcast with your host Daniel Barnett. The Mythical Legends Podcast. Today we have an amazing guest. Bigfoot researcher and Bigfoot witness, please welcome Richard Daniels. Thank you for spending time with me today, Richard. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. Where are you based? I am in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and um, it's still rather hot here, (laughs) even at this point of the year. So I'm just trying to trying to make it through another hot day here. It's an amazing place to be. Um, Could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, Well, basically, my journey in uh, Bigfoot research started in January of 2000 um, when I had my first encounter very unexpectedly, like most people do. Um, And uh, to to be honest with you, at the time, uh, I wasn't really even sure what I what I had seen. Um, uh, the situation was that the young lady that I was dating at the time had two children, and we had been out for the day. Um, it had been an unusually warm day for that time of year, and this was in um, in rural Maryland, which is uh, more towards the East Coast. And uh, we had gotten back uh, fairly late, and her house was situated right next to um, a large forest. And I mean, literally 40 feet away. And we got out of the car. And the moment we got out of the car, um, we could hear something big moving in the woods. And in that part of our country, it's a black bear that you're usually dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, rushed, she rushed her kids in there. And I had a bunch of things to bring in from the car. And I didn't want to have to make two trips with the bear traipsing around. So I tried, filled my arms and basically just used my elbow to try to push the hatchback of her car down. Went inside, no problem. And then after she got her kids um, uh, situated for, uh, for bed, she came down and went to look out the window to see if she could see where the bear was. And she noticed that my elbow was rather inefficient in uh, the task I had given it. Uh, the hatchback didn't get all the way down and the dome light in her car was still on and she didn't want her battery to be run down. Mm-hmm. And I can I can report to you that chivalry is not dead because I was the one that was gonna go outside and, and take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had been inside for several minutes and my eyes had adjusted to the inside light and I've spent enough time in the woods to know that you just don't, um, you don't go out there without being able to see, especially you know in the evening when you've got um, uh, you know, a black bear out there would be difficult to see. There, were, there was some light that I could rely on. I, I can't remember exactly if the moon was full or near full, but there was a lot of lot of light from the moon, and there was a lamppost that was about 200 feet away or so. So there was some ambient light out there. 
So I turned off the porch light outside and I just stared out into the dark and let my eyes adjust a little bit. Mm-hmm. And when I felt comfortable, I walked out and the, had my eyes on the tree line in one spot in particular. Uh, the entire tree line was, uh, was lined with bushes and briars, except mm-hmm. for one spot in there about 15 feet wide where it had all been beaten down and, and that's where we went back into the woods to uh, go hiking or to uh, let you know, our kids go out there and play. And at the time, unbeknownst to me, that was where she would take food that she had that was about to go bad and she'd just dump it out there for animals to eat. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, sort of the prime place, but you know, a bear's not going to come through the briars and bushes and everything. He's going to come through the open spots. Uh, they're very pragmatic that way. And so I had my I had my eyes on that particular spot right there because it was about a 15 foot wide um, gap, and the canopy of the trees hung down to about a five foot level. And so uh, if anything was coming coming out of the woods, it was coming out of there. And as I got to the back of the car, I put my hand on the hatchback and I pressed it down. And at the moment that I was pressing that hatchback down, I saw movement in that space that I was watching. Wow. And yeah, the first the first weird part about this encounter was that the, I, I expected the movement to maybe be coming out of the space or maybe across the space, but the movement that I saw was straight downward, and it just it caught my eye, and I stared at this what was there, and I could, I could see the outline of it, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, my dog has a mind of his own. That's all right. <laughs> sorry. But uh, yeah, it's um, I could see the movement, or see I could see a space right there, and or see a, a figure there, and the first thing that dawned on me is that it was huge. Wow! And um, the head of it was right at the canopy of the trees, about five feet up, and it was just so wide. And you know, I, as I stared at this, it was a it was a it was a brown shape that was against a, uh, a, a absolute black background. And how, I, go ahead. How did you feel at that point? Because that sounds really scary, even l- listening now. Uh, um, well, you know, w- the the idea was that it was, in, in my mind, is that it was a bear. Mm-hmm. And I had encountered bears before, um, being, you know, out in the woods and hiking and everything like that. Um, but it struck me very odd that it was and mm. in, in that area of the country, maybe a, a big black bear gets to be about 350 pounds. So most of them aren't very big. And this one was absolutely massive. And wow. I stared at this I stared at this thing and I could make out shoulders that, that stuck straight out. And they were immensely wide. And the thing that popped into my mind was what kind of bear has shoulders like that? Because a bear's shoulders, they're very slope shoulders, especially when they sit down. And this, this had shoulders that went straight out. And I couldn't, I just sat there puzzling, figuring what kind of bear is that? And I looked at it some more and I could make out knees that were sticking up in front of it, kind of at, 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 uh, at uh, almost uh, diagonal angles. Uh, you know, somebody crouching, basically. And I looked wow. at it and I said, I said, bears don't sit like that. What what kind of bear is this? 
And it, 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 I didn't know it at the time, but what I was experiencing was called cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance means you're getting visual or audio or some kind of input, some kind of sensory input you're getting, and your mind just isn't wrapping around it. You're not processing it. Because I'm, I was thinking it was a bear. And you know, prior, I mean, prior to this, I was a what you'd call a Bigfoot agnostic. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't, even, I didn't think about the subject. I'd heard some stories, that kind of thing. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't any part of my life at all. So I was thinking, this is a bear. And I sat there staring at this thing, and it was literally 40 feet from me. And I just couldn't figure out what it was, and I was just kind of dumbfounded. And I know it was at least a minute. It was probably a little bit over over a minute. Then I hear from behind me at the house, my, my girlfriend at the time, you know, saying, what are you trying to do, get killed? And that kind of <laughs> back, snapped me back to reality. And I realized, okay, a bear's 40, foot, 40 feet from me. I've got 20, 25 feet to go to get back in the house. And the last thing in the world you want to do is run from a bear because they will, mm -hmm. they're, they're, you know, their hunting uh, instinct will kick in and they'll, they'll run you down and catch you whether they're hungry or not. And so I just started backing up towards the house with my eyes on this thing and got to about 10 feet and it hadn't moved. So I just turned around and walked back in the house. Mm -hmm. Got inside, uh -oh. nothing happened. No, no big deal. Um, you know, we stayed up a little while to make sure nothing happened and nothing did. And, um, you know, that was pretty much that at that point. Now we fast forward to five years later uh, I was no longer uh, with that young lady. I had met the lady who became my wife, and we had moved from Maryland down to Orlando, Florida. One of the things that I deal with on a regular basis is insomnia. And during, mm -hmm. a, bout of ins uh, during a bout of insomnia one night, um, I'm flipping through the TV channels trying to find something, and um, I see a show on Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. And... I literally said the words out loud. I said, well, this will put me to sleep. And I started watching this show and about 15 minutes into it, there was a gentleman from the state of Washington who described what he saw, you know, for his encounter. And yeah. that what he described was about 95% identical to what I had seen. That wow. It, it triggered that memory in me. And, you know, we're talking five years later, and um, you know, a thousand miles away from where I had had the encounter, and I broke out into a cold sweat. My hands began to shake, and I went in, you know, went into the washroom to you know, put some water on my face, and I, all the color had drained from my face. Wow! Um, it it absolutely shook me to the bone, and um, ever since that time in 2005, I've been researching this subject. That is incredible that he had the same experience that you had back Well, back I mean, what it, what it was, he had found, he had seen one, he had heard something going on outside his house and walked out onto his deck and, and looked, to, uh, looked over and saw one of these things crouching at the corner of his deck. And when he described what it looked like crouching, it just snapped in my mind. Yeah, uh, it... it <laughs> and that story when, when at that moment you thinking it was a bear and mm -hmm. it and it it was or could have been what 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 we call bigfoot 
is incredible but then five years later for for the for the same experience that then come out is absolutely incredible um that that's blown my mind absolutely <laughs> blown my mind well you know uh the only thing i'll tell you is try being in my shoes at the time uh, because once i realized what happened and the reaction that i had i went into kind of a funk at that point um, my mind was always racing um, i couldn't really focus you know uh, i mean i noticed some uh, a lot of mundane details at the time you know just things that really didn't matter but i really couldn't focus on what i was doing and um what i didn't understand at the time and i i've later come to um actually research this is that uh i was in a period of stress response i had just experienced acute stress and my body was in response to that and what happens when you do that there's a chemical that comes out of the amygdala a part of your brain that's released in there it's called cortisol cortisol is to your brain exactly what uh adrenaline is to your body it fires you up it prepares you for uh, some sort of confrontation it prepares you to defend yourself in some way mm -hmm. and the more i kept thinking about that experience the more it just perpetuated and after about three days of this me not being myself my wife finally looked at me and said what's wrong and um i i said to her what i have uh referred to as the words uh, the words that every Bigfoot witness ever has said to somebody if they talked about it, it's that I just don't think you're going to believe me. Mm -hmm. And I, I explained to her what I had seen and, you know, bless her heart. She, she, she listened, you know, and that, you know, uh, I'm very thankful that she cared enough to listen because I needed to tell somebody I had to get this somewhere outside of my own skull. And, mm. um, uh, I really formally began researching the emotional and psychological effects of uh, cryptid encounters uh, later on in 2016, and it's been it's been quite a journey. And listening to that encounter in your voice, it I I could hear it brought back some of that emotion that you felt at that moment in time, which is incredible. Yeah, um, retelling is reliving, and that's that's what happens with people that are under acute stress response. Um, I, you know, I you, the the reactions that you have to these situations are things that can't be faked. Um, mm -hmm. I've worked in the mental behavioral health system here in New Mexico uh, for over a decade, and uh, nobody can fake that because they're just it's just too raw of an emotional state to be able to be in, and. Um, it's you know the the state that I was describing is uh, is a, it's akin to uh, ADHD, mm -hmm. and uh, for most people that they hear that that uh, that blast of cortisol it lasts anywhere between thirty and ninety minutes, and then you calm back down again and you're emotionally exhausted and you know you you recover, but for mm. people that have had that have experienced acute trauma, every time they think about that incident every time that there's a trigger that something reminds them of it and, and their memories come back that response triggers again and if right. you can imagine going through life and just hearing a sound or even a smell um, or you know I mean for me for a while it was it was um, being around a forest 
when it got dark. It would make yeah. me think of that, and I would go back into that state again. And um, you know, some of the witnesses I've talked to in the course of researching this, one gentleman I talked to didn't say a word to anybody about his encounter for 36 years. Wow. And he had been experiencing, you know, uh, episodes like this that entire time. You know, it's 13,000 days of going through something like that. And yeah. the only thing that kept him from saying anything to anybody, he was, he was, he was more afraid of being ridiculed and harassed than he was of what he was going through. Mm. And I, um, I, I have autism, so I, I, I get a few of those occasionally. Um, mm -hmm. And 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 you've just de described really um, so some things that I go through as well and and, mm -hmm. and that's really really it's a really fascinating um, career to have and, and yeah amazing well I think um, it's fantastic that you're doing this man I, I mean good on you for doing this because it's not easy uh, I, no. know, I know a lot of I know a lot of adults that don't want to do something like this and it's uh, it's great that you're doing this you're getting a lot of yeah. getting a lot of good information out um so um I I also hear that you've had uh, more experiences with Bigfoot. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Uh, for sure. Uh, I've had three other instances since I've begun um, uh, researching. One was in uh, the state of Colorado, and another one was here in New Mexico, and the third one was actually in uh, the state of Michigan. So um, two of those, the one in Colorado and the one in Michigan, were uh, results of my um, being around a couple of uh, people, you know, getting in touch with some people that were good researchers and, you know, had, had a, you know, a, a good approach and put me in that situation where I could encounter them. The third one uh, here in New Mexico was another rough experience. Um, I had seen an article in the newspaper uh, local newspaper here that a town uh, not far from here had experienced uh, a sudden spike in missing dogs and cats mm -hmm. and that immediately raised my you know my radar uh, in that I know that domesticated animals are easy prey for Bigfoot it's you know, there's there's thousands of reports that talk about you know, missing livestock, missing domesticated animals, missing pets. And um, so I decided to go up there and check it out. And this town happens to be adjacent to a national park, um, not far from that. And I started checking out the area between the town and the park and started to get some signs that there may have been some activity around there. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, over a course of two years, I was able to track down to a, a specific area right at the border of the park where I believed these creatures were coming out of the park at night and going over to the, the town to forage. So, um, you know, work, I work as an educator and I got to, a, to spring break in March of, of 2013. And I decided I was gonna go stake this out. I was gonna do a stake out and see what I see what happens. And um, I'm going to caution anybody that wants to go out and do do research like this. Don't do what I did in this case. Um, I went out there. I only told one person. I told my wife that I was going. 
And um, I went out there unarmed, you know, pretty much unprotected. I had a camping knife and I had a can of bear spray. And that's all I had on me. But at this point, I was still very, you know, still very new to research in the field. And I, all I had in my mind was, I'm going to be the man. I'm going to be the guy that discovers these things. I'm going to be the one everybody knows. <clears throat> and um, I went to this area, which is basically a, a, a tiny little box canyon kind of thing that is on the edge of this national park. And the, the canyon is maybe, I mean, I don't even know if I'm going to call it a canyon. I, I describe it as a box canyon. It's more of a really big ditch. It's about 40 feet deep and about 100 feet wide. And it runs for about a quarter of a mile. And um, I, I really thought that they were using this as an avenue to get out of the park without anybody seeing them. So I got to the rim of this, uh, of this little canyon and I started to pick up deadfall uh, wood and made a blind to sit behind. And um, I must have done the job very well because two park rangers came walking right through that area and didn't see me. Wow. So, um, yeah, the problem with this park is that you're not supposed to be there after dark. Mm-hmm. And I had arrived just, you know, just before twilight hours. You know, I, I had just enough mm. time to see, to be able to put together a blind and that was about it. But um, sat there for you know for the evening, and basically I'm, I was just sitting on. Uh, we have a five. I had a five-gallon bucket that, that had a lid on it that uh, had a seat cushion, and that that's where I perched behind this blind, just waiting to see what I could see or hear. Um, uh, and again, I had planned to be out there all night. No night vision gear, none at all, and there's no there, there's no ambient light except for maybe moonlight, and there, there wasn't much moonlight that night. So I, I, I don't, I, thinking back on it, I really don't know what I expected to see, but mm. um, I, I was out there anyway. And um, about, uh, I would say somewhere around uh, 2 a.m., I heard a long distance howl that did not sound like coyotes. Wow. And I heard another one that was closer and I thought, okay, this might be it. And there were actually two more. And the, the, the fourth one that I heard was easily within several hundred yards. And it was loud. And pretty soon I started to hear footsteps. And it was bipedal footsteps. There were two feet going, and no doubt about it. And those footsteps got louder and louder coming. They were basically off to my right a little bit, right along the the uh, one edge of the uh, of the little canyon there and uh, then they stopped and um, there was an ominous pause for about maybe a minute or two and then I started to hear a series of growls barks uh, little screams one sound I can describe to you only as an angry gurgling sound and these were not things that I've ever heard out of any bear anywhere uh, in the woods. And then these, the noises, the, the creatures started stomping around. And basically it was stomping around my position, making noise, you know, being as loud as it could. I assumed because it was trying to scare me away because it saw me. And 
at that point, you know, it, it's, it, it, it went to go around my position at probably about a 270 degree arc, just trying to get me to, to, to move. And all I could think of was you don't let an animal behind you. So what I did mm-hmm. is I just, as this thing moved around, I just sort of pivoted to where the noise was and, and faced it. And from what I can gather, I just made it angrier doing that. Um, and I, that's when I realized just how over my head I was. Mm. Um, I had actually run into one of these things. I understood what I was up against and I immediately knew that I was not prepared to deal with it. So this went on for about 40 minutes and the vocalizations, all of them were so strong. I could feel the sound waves hitting me, hitting me in the face and hitting me in the chest. It was resonating wow. in, in my chest. Um, so I'm guessing it was at about a range of 20 to 25 yards, maybe 75 feet or so. And um, it was, um, uh, all, all I can tell you is that I was terrified. But mm. the only thought in my mind was, don't let it behind you. And going back and forth and back and forth around that way, I, I, I just couldn't think of anything else because if I, if I take off to run, it's in the dark. I have nowhere, no idea where I'm going. And if this thing wants to, it's going to run me down. And mm. so that the only, the only option in my mind was to stay put and, you know, not let it behind me. And after about 40 minutes, uh, I could hear it snap off a tree branch. Literally, you could hear that pop and it, it's, it's that distinct sound. And the only thought that came to my mind at that point was this thing's going to come beat the daylights out of me. Mm. And then about, you know, five, 10 seconds later, the branch lands about seven or eight feet to my left. Oh my God. Yeah. And, um, I, I froze. I I literally froze at that point because I thought he's going to come over here and finish it. And, um, to my surprise, the noises got more distant and eventually it made its way out of there. Uh, I guess I just frustrated it to no end and it, it decided to take off. And, um, and by this point it was about four o'clock in the morning. Mm. And again, I'm in there. I have no night vision gear, totally unprepared for the situation I put myself in. The only thing I could think of is wait for first light. And it was about an hour and a half later that I was able to start seeing things and I was packing up my gear. And, um, as I'm doing that, I looked over to where that branch that had been thrown was and the base of the branch was about six inches wide that, wow that my yeah my best guess is that that branch weighed about 40 pounds because it was about about nine feet long nine or ten feet long and to think what kind of power it takes to throw something of that weight and not just the weight but managing that weight too because it's not something that's really well balanced and to throw it with some degree of accuracy for a distance of, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, basically about 20 meters. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's a lot of strength. That's yeah. 
So I, I got my gear packed up and I turned uh, what was a 45 minute hike into the, the position into about a 20 minute jog back to my vehicle. And I got everything packed up, got in there, had the, the key to the car in my hand and sat there. And I, I have no problem telling you that I just burst out and cried like a baby because all, oh, really? all that time was just too much and it was overcome I, you know at that point at that point i could finally let my guard down and i felt you know that, that just everything let go and um ever since then i will not go back into the woods by myself i will not do anything alone because it's just too foolhardy a thing to do mm, and listening to that story made me frozen listening to it because that was that must that must have been really terrible really terrifying for you yeah oh my heart was in my throat and it was there for hours and that was the hard yeah. part Did, so, what, again go ahead what what were your friends and family's reactions to that experience well at that point i had been researching about eight years and they understood that you know well, you know what my interest was and why and um you know, I didn't immediately recount that story. But again, when I got home, my wife understood something had shaken me up and she wouldn't let me, you know, wouldn't let me keep it inside for very long. And she made me talk to her. And um, she, you know, at, see, oddly enough, my wife uh, worked for the United States Forest Service. So on a professional basis, she had to be, you know, very, uh, neutral she wouldn't even address that but on a personal basis she would listen because she never ever told me whether she listened or whether she believed in bigfoot or not she never mm. committed that to me but she understood how significant it was and how important it was to me so she would listen and um that was the good part i, I she she was somebody that i could talk to and put that out and, and by that time i had made some connections with people and there were people that I talked to about it, and you know, everyone said, uh, to, I mean, pretty much to to a man that I had dodged a bullet, that I was very lucky, um, mm. and that nothing else happened. So my my best guess on that situation was I had encountered a young male, um, mm. probably probably not that long from being away, you know, having left his family group to do his own life, and he just didn't understand, you know, number, you know, what to do or anything like that. And, Plus, he had walked right up on me. I think an older, more experienced uh, individual would have seen me, would have detected me a lot earlier. It, I just don't think it was paying attention. And that, that says to me, a young one that, that doesn't have a lot of experience yet. So, um, you know, who knows how he could have reacted. I mean, in any other ways. So I feel very fortunate to have been able to learn from that and not learn the hard way. Mm. And, and again, the emotion that came out of your voice when you were when that like branch was thrown at you and I, I was just in, incredible to hear that that you were sat at 4am in the morning and having this 8 foot tall or smaller creature in front, in front of you and I think that's one incredible but two very very scary and ter terrified absolutely yeah um, you know but again it was at that point 
that um, I became very aware of my uh, response to that situation. And I, at the time, I was working with um, uh, you know behavior challenged kids in the mental behavioral health system here in New Mexico. And what I noticed at that point was that number one, what I had felt and what I had heard from other Bigfoot witnesses that you know, because there's a, it's very well known that the that people are really shaken up by these experiences. And uh, what I noticed was what they were describing their feelings were the same kind of things that the kids I was working with on a daily basis were describing from their traumatic situations. Uh, you know, um, you know, witnesses to violence, uh, abuse, neglect, um, uh, traumatic car accidents, those type of things. The same kind of stress responses that, that were reported in those instances were the exact same things that I was hearing from Bigfoot witnesses. And that's what led me to start researching the emotional and psychological effects of encounters. And um, I actually uh, released uh, a case study about that in 2019. And I continue to do it. I'm, I'm in the process of writing a book about it now. Yeah. And um, um, what I am going to do is, could you tell us a bit more about that book? Well, it's it's basically a book about the Bigfoot witness experience. And it's typical that there is some sort of emotional or psychological effect on anybody. And really what it comes down to is the same, you know, again, the same reaction you have to any other traumatic situation. Um, there are five stress responses that people have. And pretty much everybody knows about fight or flight. And those are two of those. Um, a good number of people understand that there's a freeze response. So you got fight, flight, freeze. But there are two others that most people have no idea about. Uh, one of them is called fawning or flopping. And that is where somebody just turns away from uh, whatever the whatever whatever's the, the focal point of the stress that's fawning or flopping are people that just fall to the ground yeah, out of response. And um, that's somewhat prevalent but not as popular as the other three and then there's what's called a friending response and a friending response comes from somebody who believes they have an intimate contact with what they're experiencing and in our case it's in the contact with the creature that's in front of them and it's 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 fairly rare but it's it's there enough to be to be part of the categories everybody needs to understand it and what i've found is that it's it's very it's a very special thing in the bigfoot community and that's when people believe they have an intimate contact with the creature in some way and i think that's where a lot of mind speak comes from you know talk about that uh telepathic communication that kind of thing um but you know remains to be seen and um you know the study that i did was remarkable i i had interviewed over 400 people for it and i ended up using wow. yeah i interviewed i used 148 cases for it because I'd had to vet out some of the um, uh, some of the cases and, and I, I didn't want any doubt to the stories that I had and those 148 cases yielded some incredible data about uh, the fact that um, not only how people responded but why and there's you know some major reasons why number one Bigfoot encounters happen randomly they happen you know unexpectedly 
just about every person you'll talk to that had an encounter wasn't out looking for these creatures. They just happened upon them. Um, so it's a surprise, number one. Number two is the incredible size of these creatures. Um, you can talk about, you know, you say something's big, but until you really get a, you know, get a, get an experience of being around something that's eight or nine feet tall, that has shoulders that are three feet wide, that probably weighs somewhere in the area of 700 or 800 pounds. And you have no idea what big is until you're there. And, yeah. Um, I mean, and that's why, that's why just seeing these things is such a shock to people because they're massive size. And then the third one is you're seeing something that's not supposed to exist. You know, our society tells us that these creatures aren't supposed to be there. They're, they're myths, right? But yeah. when one of, the, one of these things shows up in front of you, it's reality altering. You start to realize that, you know, the life you go through, you, how little of it you really notice. And, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a jarring thing for, uh, for most people. And that's what I found in, in interviewing witnesses like that. Their lives get, some of them, their lives get turned upside down. And they, they just, they, they literally change everything in their lives. It, it ruins relationships. Um, it's, uh, people get estranged from their families. Uh, I talked to one fellow that lost his job because he talked about his experience at, at work. Um, and there's a lot of ridicule. There's a lot of harassment. Uh, there's a real stigma still to these. And even then, um, it's been, uh, this experience has been mainstreamed a lot when you talk about the show Finding Bigfoot and other things. Um, there's a lot of people that, that you know, know this phenomenon's in the mainstream, and yet there's still a tremendous amount of backlash against anybody talking about uh, about this. And that's why I've uh, I've coined the terminology for what people are going through as cryptid encounter syndrome. Bigfoot witnesses, especially, people want to talk about it. They they want to tell somebody, but they're afraid to do so. They're afraid to come forward because people will call them crazy. People will harass them. And that's what I was you know, speaking to before. Um, you know, the, you, people end up using the words, you know, I just don't believe you'll, I just, I just don't think you'll believe me. And um, that's a real leap of faith. You find out who your friends are. You find out who really cares about you at that point. Yeah. And that book sounds absolutely amazing. And I will definitely read that. Uh, it oh. sounds the the most incredible book about Bigfoot and the witnesses. I, I hope to have it ready in the spring. And and I will definitely, definitely read it. And and I'm sure um, our listeners will as well. So um, my last couple of questions for you. Okay. Could you tell us a bit more about your work to do with paranormal encounters? Yeah, that's what my, my research in the Bigfoot community has shown some, uh, well, not surprisingly, it's shown some crossover into other areas uh, like uh, other, I mean, other cryptids, of course, but also in the uh, UFO uh, realm. Um, I've come into contact with witnesses that have experienced the same sort of after effects um, from UFO encounters, from alien encounters. Um, and then the other people that have had ghost encounters, um, they they report the same thing. So I've talked to researchers in both areas and they understand also that, you know, that just like in Bigfoot, the, the Bigfoot research, that people get shaken up by that. They get, they, they get, uh, it's really affects them. 
but nobody has really taken it seriously, you know, the, as seriously as it needed to be. And what I've started to do is start to educate researchers and be able to tell them, okay, here's a way to do this. Um, <clears throat> they have a, a, a tendency to do what I call rushing the creature, which means they sit down with the witness and they say, okay, how big was it? What was it doing? Did it smell? What color was it? And, and they, they, they run everything right at the creature involved. Whereas the witness is sitting there feeling very used and just, you know, they, they feel like a, you know, a, a wash rag that gets wrung out at the end of the interview. And what I instruct researchers to do is sit down and say, okay, how are you feeling? Are you doing okay with this? Tell me about how, you know, how this has made you feel. And just by altering that approach alone, you're going to get far more information than you ever, you know, ever thought you could you know, process. Um, I tell, one of the things I tell witnesses to do is sit down and write out their entire experience and not to leave out any details, whether they think it's important or not. And it's often that I'll get somewhere between 10 and 15,000 words because people, you know, you think of an incident that lasts for some people a few seconds, but when they think about that detail, those details are, that, that's, that experience is crystal clear in your mind. And that's why it's so significant when it gets triggered again because all that is very clear that the snapshot and the, the, the slow motion video of it all in your head is absolutely crisp and it stays that way. And you know, any tra traumatic event in someone's life will be like that. And uh, you get a tremendous amount of information without ever asking a question about the creature. And that's what uh, I want researchers to be able to learn and to be able to do, to do. So not only are they gathering far more information that are, than they're probably gonna get from 50 questions, but they're getting the idea that these, this witness is going to buy into them and know that they support the witness. And that's, that's an important thing because most people don't talk to a witness just once. You end up talking to them four or five, six times and relationships develop. And that's the best way to do it is to is to understand that there's some mutual mutual report uh, or mutual support rather between the two. And you sound like a really really knowledgeable man, Richard. You're 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 really you've spoken to every witness under the sun um, <laughs> uh, in and it's really interesting hearing from Bigfoot to ufos to your own experiences and it's really really fascinating listening to all the um encounters you've had um your work and and i i just want thank you for a minute because your work is incredible well thank you very much um it's it's been a journey and you know the funny thing was when i released my study in 2019, I put it out uh, in uh, almost 20 Facebook groups that, that, you know, that were about Bigfoot. And whenever somebody comes out with something in the Bigfoot community, especially online, you can expect for it to be just roasted. You, people are going to attack it and tear it apart the best they can. Um, so I was fully prepared for that. And what happened was when I released that report, I got nothing. People, nobody wow. said anything and what I think it was because they understood 
I did it as scientifically sound as I could. I, I, I did everything I could to, to vet the, the witnesses and be able to talk to them. I, I interviewed every witness at least twice, most of them three times. And it was actual data. And when you come down to the Bigfoot community, when it comes down to it, you never get actual data. People are always putting out their opinions or they're giving out reports and, you know, because most of what you get in the Bigfoot community is, are these sexy stories of encounters. And what I had was a real scientific examination of it. And um, I put it out there and I said, just tell me, tell me whether you agree or not. It doesn't matter. Um, I want discussion about the, su the subject and people, I mean, I got crickets. People didn't touch it at all, and that, that's what told me that I was doing a good job. And 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 I will tell you, you you are doing an amazing job. Um, and yeah. Um, so my last question for you is: What advice would you give to someone who has started to research Bigfoot? Uh, number one, understand that ninety to ninety-five percent of what you see and hear, especially online about this subject is unreliable. You have to be able to develop a certain eye and a certain ear to understand what you're seeing and, uh, and what you're hearing. Because there's a lot of these places that uh, online that are that specialize in clickbait. And they, all they want you to do is click on there and they don't care what they put out there. Um, the, the big thing that's going around right now are these AI generated uh, photos that said they were found in, you know, the, the report says they were found in a mason jar buried on a, on a, uh, on a property in Arkansas or everything. And it looks, the, the pictures look like they were taken um, just, uh, you know, post uh, Civil War era here. And uh, honestly, they're crap. I mean, they're just crap. And they keep getting, flo they keep floating around and keep floating around. and. It's been going on and, that, and that's the way it is in, in, in the community. Everybody just wants clicks. Everybody just wants eyeballs to, you know, see what they're, what they're putting out there for just for, they're trying to make money off of this thing. So definitely do that, search out, find the real researchers, find the people that are doing the work um, because those are the ones to follow. Um, and there's, there's plenty of them out there. You just have to, you just have to be able to, to you know, be able to discern between the, the serious researchers and the ones that are just out there trying to make a buck. Um, the other thing I would tell researchers to do is to stop trying to prove the big picture. Um, the existence argument is absolutely a joke anymore. Um, if you get into this, people have been citing these areas, seeing these things for a thousand years. I mean, thousands of years, really, when it comes down to it. Um, so it's not a surprise that they're still being encountered. And um, instead of trying to prove the big picture, take a very specific look at some facet of the phenomenon. Uh, my, my forte is the emotional and psychological effects from encounters. Um, what I can do is I can find an encounter and then I can reverse engineer the, the, uh, the behavior of the creature and what it was like and how, how it was to be there. So that's my specialty. Um, I know of a researcher who is centering on their uh, possible language and forms of communication. I know another one that's centering on stitch structures and what they're for. And um, there's another, there's a lot of people who want to just focus on footprint evidence. 
And that's the way to do it, if you ask me. Um, nobody is going to ever prove the big picture all at once until we bring one of these creatures in. And I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But there's a ton of data that's out there in sighting reports and witnesses, people to talk to. And you can basically data mine those encounters, those sightings, and be able to put together a, a, a very good picture of a certain facet of the phenomenon. And it's never going to be solved by one person. It's going to be solved by a bunch of people taking this seriously, using the scientific method that we, you know, that we all learned in middle school, you know, and, and be able to use that. And that's basically all I've done. When I started researching, I was just a regular guy. I was not a science guy. Now I can sit down and talk science with anybody because I've had to learn it myself. I've had to teach myself in a lot of ways. Um, I, it's also having the audacity to ask people that have any kind of knowledge, you know, about that, being able to ask them, okay, tell me about this. Tell me, you know, I can tell you how night vision works. I can tell you about the tapetum, tapetum lucidum at the back of the, the eyeball, simply because I've wanted to learn these type of things. And it's a bunch of people taking these specializations that's going to be able to put together the puzzle someday. And we're going to really understand what these creatures are. So uh, yeah, take, take some specific interest on a specific subject that you really like and really hit it hard. And I think um, you go a lot farther that way. That is some amazing advice, Richard. And actually, I'm going to take some of that as well, because that is some excellent advice. Thank you. Well, we need people like you getting the word out. That's what we need. I mean, you know, you're 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 a very steady voice and being able to just tell the stories and to put the put the good information out there. So you're already doing really well. So if you decide to get to a little more specific, you just let me know. I'll help you out. Thank you so much, Richard. Okay, guys, I will see you in the next podcast. Keep searching and stay mythical. Thank you for listening to the Mythical Legends podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook group. The truth is out there.